right. All right, hey, if you want to take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2, I want to use that as kind of a launching point. I want to talk to you about the most important phrase that's ever come across a person's lips, and it's actually the phrase that, that all the apostles and all the people that have gone before us generations before have actually given their life for this one phrase. And it's, it's the most beautiful phrase in all the English language, but it's also the most controversial phrase, and the phrase is simply this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you say that with me? Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we say that in great freedom today. We say that with great... Uh, understanding of what we got in the scriptures but i want you to understand that phrase is the one that the people that have gone before us gave their lives for a lot of people have shed their blood just to be able to say that because if jesus is lord that means that somebody else is not and that's what's happened all throughout the new testament all the battle that's gone over that phrase let's start over in philippians chapter 2 i just want to read in verse 8 through 11 and we're going to come back to this a little bit later Paul writes to the Philippian church and to us, Philippians 2, 8 through 11. It says this, speaking of Jesus and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you say amen? Let, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We just come this Saturday evening to give it first place in our hearts and just to celebrate you. And Lord, I, I pray you would continue to reveal to us that you truly are Lord and you're Lord and our Savior. We thank you so much for it. Open up our eyes, open up our understanding as you did that day on the road to Emmaus and those disciples that walk with you. You opened up their understanding. Help us to see who you really are and serve you, Lord, as you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, the Bible presents to us a strong Jesus and we need a strong Jesus, amen. We need a strong Savior. He's not, he, 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 you, know, you know, sometimes in the church world, it's, things are portrayed kind of soft, but, but the Gospels come across as, as strong. Jesus says a strong man. In fact, in, when he's introduced in Revelation 1.18, he says this. He said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. He has the keys of hell and death. He presents himself as a strong Jesus. And I want you to hear him as a strong Jesus throughout the Gospels. What we're going to do is kind of go through some of the Gospel stories and talk about how Jesus is Lord over certain things that the Gospels present to us. The first thing I want to talk to you about is that Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath. He's Lord over the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is not one of our words that we really live into in our day and age, but it was a real important Hebrew word and Hebrew understanding of what Sabbath was. Their whole life uh, surrounded Sabbath and the practice of Sabbath on that seventh day of rest. There are several Sabbath stories in the Gospels that Jesus comes in contact with, doing things on the Sabbath. In fact, one of them, you remember he was, he's out in the field with his disciples, and he, they're, they're hungry and need a little lunch. So they begin to pick off grains off, the, off the, the, the stalks that are there in the field. And the religious leaders that were there, they saw them on the Sabbath. And according to their laws and their customs, it was unlawful to do any kind of thing like that on the Sabbath. But Jesus comes to them and he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now when we read across that in the Gospels, it kind of just kind of goes right past us. But you know, the original Sabbath was found in Genesis chapter 1. You remember that? 
It says, in the beginning, God created, and it goes through six days of creation. And on the seventh day, in our English translation, it says this. It says that God did what? He rested. Well, in the Hebrew, it says that God Shabbated. He, he Sabbathed. He took the day off. God is the one who created Sabbath. So when Jesus says that he's Lord of the Sabbath, he is making no mistake to everybody who knows Genesis chapter 1. He is telling them that I am the God of all creation. Do you get that? They heard him say that. They, they were shook by it. Jesus is telling us that he is the Lord of all creation, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he breaks the Sabbath rest to show us that God has now started his creative work again. In fact, through Jesus, God is doing a whole new creation. In fact, when you're born again, that's what you become a part of. The scripture says that whoever's in Christ is a new creation. And I would like to go on and say that he is a part of the new creation that God is doing all throughout the earth. The creative work, according to Jesus, has resumed in him. That God has now come back to His people and He is again creative. He is working and you can see Him doing all kinds of creative things. Jesus, God in the flesh, has now come to do His work so that we can find rest. Because that's how we understand Sabbath. We understand Sabbath as the idea of rest. Jesus is saying that as well. He's, he's the God of all creation, but He's also the God who gives people rest. In fact, one of my favorites, we preached this not too long ago, is, is Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. It says this, Jesus' invitation to all of us, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Sabbath. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, as, Je as Jesus quotes that great prophet Jeremiah. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's telling us that he is the Lord over rest. You want to find rest for your soul. It's the kind of rest that we find Jesus in all the time throughout all of his ministry. Did you ever notice when you read the Gospels, nothing really disturbs him. Nothing really moves him. He's always at peace. He's always at rest. It's the kind of rest where you can sleep through a storm. We're presently going through a storm right now. And I remember the storm that Jesus was in, in the boat with his disciples. You remember that story? And Jesus, notice everybody else is in a panic. Everybody else is bailing water. Everybody else is trying to figure out what to do. Let's get to some high ground or something. What's Jesus doing? He's resting. He's resting. I, I pray that kind of rest over you through this storm that we're going through. It's not that he was aloof. It's just that he wasn't bothered. <laughs> He was at rest. May the Lord of the rest, the Lord of Sabbath, give you that kind of rest. Amen. How many of you want that? You need that? Amen. Find rest for your soul. Let's do it, Lord. Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of rest. He's also Lord over creation. Lord over all creation. You know that Jesus knows how to master molecules of water and transform it into wine. That's a pretty good Savior to have, isn't it? Jesus knows how to master the matter of food and take two fish and five loaves of bread and change their molecular structure. He, he's, he's a great scientist, you know. He's the Lord over creation. He shows us that He can take the things that are created and even take those things and structure them in such a way 
that two plus five can feed a multitude. Your Savior knows how to do that. He's the Lord of all creation. You know that your Savior knows, Jesus knows how to walk on water. He commands all the laws of creation. They're at His bidding. He can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants. He knows how to walk on water. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it's not, it doesn't work out too well for me. How about you? Oh, big boy sinks. How about y'all? <laughs> he knows how to walk on water because the law of gra gravity, even the law of gravity, bends at His will. He's the Lord of all creation and He has the knowledge to cause the energy of wind to cease at His command. And with one word, peace, even the winds. That's what the disciples said. That was their testimony of it, right? Even the wind. I mean, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey Him. And if we could speak up right there and answer that question, we would say He's the Lord over all creation. He has the knowledge to know how to speak to an unfruitful tree and cause it to wither and die. I believe he could speak to a dead one and cause it to live if he wanted to. He's the Lord over all creation. John opens up his gospel in John chapter 1. He opens it up with this, paralleling it with Genesis chapter 1. He opens it up with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through Him. And without Him nothing was made that was made. He's talking about Jesus. He's the Lord over all creation because Jesus is our Creator. He's the Lord over the invisible spirit realm. He sees things that nobody else sees. He sees entities and powers at work that nobody else even discerned. He went about healing all who were oppressed of the devil, the Scripture says. They thought they just had a sickness. Jesus saw an oppressor. Jesus goes out casting evil spirits. and In fact, in one time in Matthew 8, He comes in contact with these evil spirits and they say, We know who you are, Jesus, Son of God. That even the, the, the devils even knew who He was. That's amazing. Because the, the irony of all that is, throughout that part of Matthew, the disciples weren't sure who He was, but the devils came and preached the best gospel that anybody heard up to that point. Isn't that something? We know who you are, the Son of God. In fact, one time Jesus comes in contact, right after this, He comes in contact with a man who is on the other side of the sea. We would might say He's on the other side of the tracks. He's on the other side of life. This man was demon-possessed that even the pagans didn't want anything to do with Him. That's pretty rough, isn't it? He's out there in the graveyard living. Scripture says that He had ripped off His clothes and they had tried to bind Him and contain Him many times over. But even the chains and the fetters that they put on him, he busted loose from those. And he had some kind of supernatural strength that came from these legion of demons that came out, were living on the inside of him. In fact, when it was asked the name, he said, we are legion for we are many. And the worst case possible that you and I could ever imagine, Jesus steps in front of that man and frees him, sets him free and delivers him from that evil that had been tormenting his life and destroying his life all those years. What nobody else could handle, Jesus took charge over that invisible spirit realm and set somebody free. And when the demon was cast out in Matthew chapter 9, there was a man who was mute. 
couldn't speak. And this was, this was one of Jesus' unique miracles. Because he, Jesus wasn't the first exorcist. He wasn't the first one to exorcise the demon. The Jewish tradition has them all throughout their history. But nobody had ever seen a demon cast out of a mute person because this is the formula they used according to history. The formula they used is if they could get the demon to say its name, they could then take authority over the name of that demon and call it out. But if a man's mute by this spirit, how could they do it? Their formula just doesn't work. Their ways doesn't work. So Jesus looks at this man and sees something invisible that nobody else sees. He goes right to the root of the problem that it's a spirit thing. And he casts the demon out. And the man speaks. And the multitudes look and they marvel and they said it was never ever seen like this in all of Israel. Because Jesus is Lord even over the, the invisible spirit realm. See, Jesus knows how to detect, discern, and deliver people from these evil forces and their influence. He's Lord over the spirit realm. Listen to this, Colossians 2.15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, Jesus made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, in His cross. Amen. He's not only Lord over the bad part of the spirit realm, but He's also the Lord of hosts. The Lord of His holy angels. In Matthew 26, 53, as Jesus is talking to Peter, and Peter is, is kind of in a different mode than Jesus at this time. They're coming to arrest Jesus, and Peter wants to defend Him. So Peter pulls out his sword, and you know what he does later with that sword and, and Malchus' servant. Jesus says, put that thing away. He says this about Him being... Lord over the spirit realm. He says, don't you know and don't you don't think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? He says, Peter, don't you know that I'm Lord over the spirit realm that I have angels at my command? Jesus is Lord. And throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus is Lord over sickness and disease. Numerous healings recorded. In fact, not even the half of it's recorded, really. And just for the record, how many have ever been healed by Jesus? Anybody ever been healed, touched by Him? Amen. I know I have many times over, body, soul, and spirit. Numerous healings are recorded. One of my favorite ones are in John chapter 9. Remember that one? It's the man that was born blind. People, it's another one of these unique miracles. Nobody had ever seen this done before in all of human history. And Jesus steps into the scene and He sets this man free from his blindness. He heals him from his blindness. People have never seen a man born blind. They've seen blind people healed, but never seen a man that was born blind. In fact, because they couldn't get past their religiosity, they couldn't even help this man. Because their, their question wasn't, God, please heal this man. Their question was, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, this ain't about none of that. I'm about to show you some glory you've never seen. Because I'm the Lord even over blindness. I'm the Lord over sickness and disease. Lepers, blind, crippled, diseased, throughout the Gospels and all human history have been healed by Jesus. And you know what Jesus would do if He came to Gilbert Town? There wouldn't be any sick people left when He left. <laughs> Lord, do it again. Amen. 
I'm amazed. These little phrases you see in the Gospels. It said Jesus went throughout all the cities and the towns and He healed all. All of them that were brought to Him, He healed every single one. Imagine that. Imagine Him going to a hospital type situation and every, everybody in there gets healed. That's amazing. That's what Jesus did when He came to town. I believe He can still do it today. Do you believe it? So Jesus is Lord over sickness and death. He knows how to regenerate the human body. He knows how to cause dead, decaying, destroyed tissue to be renewed to its proper state. Jesus knows how to do that because He's Lord. And if we'll walk with Him, He'll share that same power and authority with us. I believe that. All of this is to proclaim to us and show us the way the world God wants, uh, the way the world, God wants the world to be. That when Jesus rules and Jesus reigns in fullness, the world's going to look like that. Not going to be any sickness, no disease. In fact, that's what Revelation says, isn't it? Revelation 21, when Jesus comes in the fullness of his kingdom, returns to the earth and, and makes it all a new creation, it says this, there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, there shall be no pain, for the former things have passed away. Isn't that a good day? You know why? Because the Lord of sickness, over sickness and death, has come to town. Jesus is Lord over sin. He has the authority to break the power of sin. Another one of those phrases that kind of just passes us by, that it says that Jesus lived a sinless life. Now think about that. That every battle, every temptation... Every test that came his way, every scheme that came his way, every, every little draw and desire that came his way that would pull him away from the, his Father's will, every single battle of every single day that Jesus lived, he won every single battle with temptation. He's the Lord over sin. Over sin. Even in Matthew chapter 4, it says that he went toe-to-toe with the deceiver himself. And send him off packing. Jesus is Lord over sin in the fact that he can forgive sins. You remember the paralytic that was lowered through the roof. You remember that story in the Gospels as he was lowered through the roof and everybody wanted Jesus to heal him. Which that, that makes perfect sense. But what was the first thing Jesus said to this man? He didn't say, rise up and walk. That was the second thing he said. What was the first thing he said? He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And everybody took a deep breath because you know what? Now, see, if you did me wrong and you came and asked for forgiveness, I could say, I forgive you. But for Jesus just to come out of the blue and tell somebody who hadn't done him personally wrong like that, like some kind of offense person to person. But for him to say to somebody just out of the blue, your sins are forgiven you. Everybody in that room knew that he was taking the position of God. They knew that he was putting himself equal with God. In fact, that's what, who is this that would say such a thing? Well, I'll tell you who he is. He's the Lord who can forgive sins. I think about Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, the tax collector. You realize tax collector is considered like the biggest sinner that a person could be? We kind of understand some of that, maybe. <laughs> You think about that. Because Jesus said to their question, who can forgive sins but God? 
So you know what Jesus does? You, you read Matthew just right behind that story where Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Right behind that story, right behind that question, who can forgive sins but God? You know what Jesus does? He goes down to Capernaum and he finds a man sitting at a tax collector table and he says, you want to know how I can forgive sins? Now this is my paraphrase and my commentary. But he wants to tell this crowd of all these religious leaders and all of his disciples, you want to know how I can forgive sin? I'm going to go find the biggest sinner in town. And his name is Matthew, the tax collector. Because the rabbis have said that the tax collectors have gone so far south, they can't get back to God because they betrayed his people. And they work for the great Satan. That he can't come back. He can't be forgiven if you've gone that far. And Jesus says, I'm going to find the biggest sinner in town. And you know what? Matthew, come follow me. I'll forgive you. That's big, y'all. You know why that's big for me? Because I'm like Matthew, the tax collector. I was like him one day. I ain't always been Pastor Ron, <laughs> unfortunately. He can forgive sins. And of course, him saving the Gentile church is proof of that. Redeeming us all out of paganism and sin. Even from the cross, you remember what he cried. Father, forgive them. Amazing words with your dying breath. And Jesus took the curse of sin. You see, this is what this is about. This crown of thorns. Remember the thorns? You go back to Genesis 3. Remember that? When the curse came, cursed is the ground because of all this. Cursed is the ground. And what, what will it bring forth? Thorns and thistles. The bees will have stingers. And in my opinion, that's when mosquitoes were created. <laughs> so fast forward to the cross. Jesus is being persecuted. He's being beaten. And what did they take and put on his head? A crown of thorns. And it was a horrific picture. But in hindsight, after the resurrection, it's a beautiful thing. Because what Jesus did in that moment, upon himself, picture for all of us to see, he takes the cross or the curse. Upon his head before he goes to the cross, he says, Father, let it be put on me. That's what he was praying in the garden. I'll take it. I'll drink this cup. And part of that cup was to take that curse. And he took the crown of thorns, the curse for you and I. And to further that out, the cross was about the curse because cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And he was nailed there for our sins. Jesus is the Lord over sin. He knows how to forgive sins. He's the Lord over shame. He can wipe away shame. And He can mend a broken life. He's that good. And what we're celebrating today, Easter, I call it Resurrection Day. He's the Lord over death. Which the Scripture makes no bones about it that our greatest enemy is death. And it will be the last enemy that Jesus really puts down, as the Scripture says in Revelation chapter 20. Our greatest enemy and our greatest fear is death. Now what we have in the Gospels recorded are at least three resurrections that Jesus performed in His earthly ministry. I believe personally He probably did many, many more, but three of them are written there for us. Remember the widow's son. 
Why the widow's son? Well, that was in the same kind of idea of what Elijah did back in the Old Testament. In fact, if you look at the geography of it all, it was actually in the same region. Jesus is the prophet like Elijah. That's what he wanted to tell everybody. The widow's son, Jairus' daughter. Remember the young girl, 12 years old, raised from the dead. And then the most spectacular resurrection of all besides Jesus himself, the most spectacular resurrection is found in John chapter 11 when Lazarus was raised from the dead because Jesus was showing the world that he is Lord over death. He waited for four days until they had been dead. In fact, it says over Jesus when he heard news that he loved Lazarus so much, you think the next line would be that he went running to this man. But it says that he loved Lazarus so much that he waited four days. Now, why in the world would the Lord wait on me to go through something when he could interrupt it? That's a good question, isn't it? Maybe he's working something that we don't know about. Lazarus has gone for four days. It was Jewish custom to be pronounced dead on the third day. Day one, after you died, they would go to the the tomb where they laid you in. And they would go and they would holler, Lazarus! And if you said what, they would open up the grave and let you out, right? They'd roll the stone away. They didn't have all the science we did. I, I imagine they probably created that custom because of you know the horrific idea that probably led to. The second day they would go to the tomb and in great hopes the family would cry, Lazarus! Lazarus! Nothing. The third day, If they didn't hear anything this day, they would seal the tomb and they would be done. They would take their tear bottles, they would put them in the tomb and they would leave it and seal it and try to best go on with their lives as they could. On the third day they come and they say, Lazarus! Nothing. On the fourth day, Jesus comes. He says, where is he? They said, he's already in the tomb. We sealed it already. Stone's already rolled in place. Jesus said, take me to it. Remember one of the sisters, what they say? Lord, we can't go over there. That boy's got a rank odor right about now. He stinketh is what the King James says. Y'all know what stinketh is? (laughs) He stinketh by now. Jesus said, just take me. And he looks up to heaven. He says, Father, I'm talking to you not for my sake, but I'm talking to you for all these that know who you, so they'll know who you are. See, they stopped crying on three days. Stopped crying out his name on three days. Jesus comes and he cries on the fourth day. (laughs) When it's all said and done, when it's all over and everybody says it's over, no hope. Jesus comes and he says, Lazarus! No boy said, hey, I'm in here. (laughs) He comes wilding out there, didn't he? It took him a while because he couldn't walk, but, you know, all that wrapped up stuff. But Jesus is showing us that he's Lord over death. Even death as it's gone by to show us that he is the resurrection and the life. That's what he said this was about. So that everybody would know that I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Lazarus, will you be my illustration? Yes, sir. Then his own resurrection on the third day that gave the exclamation point of all human history. That justified Jesus in everything that he said and everything that he did. And you know what it says about him? That he rose 
on the first day of the week. I personally believe in, interpretively, I personally believe that that was John's way of saying Jesus has started a whole new creation. This is the first day. Starting with him. Hmm. Jesus is Lord. He knows how to walk through the dark, cold sting of death and die and resurrect back to life. Jesus is Lord over death. And lastly, I can keep on preaching. Y'all ain't got nowhere to go, do you? <laughs> and Brother Doug can't get out, so it's all right. <laughs> Jesus is Lord over all humanity. You know, Jesus, unlike a great teacher, unlike a, a great rabbi of his day, unlike a great sage or orator of his day, Jesus receives worship from people. Do you see it through the Gospels? He receives worship and He declares to all humanity that they should worship Him. The triumphal entry where they lay their clothes in front of Him, their cloaks, their coats. The woman with the perfume who comes and everybody wants to stop her because it's just not quite proper for, for her as a woman to touch a man like that and to, to cry over Him and do all those kind of things. But the things she was saying and the things He said to her, Jesus said, let her alone. And Jesus received her worship. In fact, in John 14, 6, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life for all of humanity. And nobody gets to the Father, gets to God, but by me. Jesus is Lord over all humanity. He is our Lord, and He knows just what to say to a weak weary heart and cause it to regain its courage and strength. Jesus has the knowledge as the way, the truth, and the life. He has the insight to help you and I live in wisdom and peace and in joy. In fact, I want to submit this to you, that Jesus is the only one that has ever truly lived the human life the way God intended He's Lord over all humanity. In fact, he says this about himself over all humanity. He says, And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He was speaking about himself. In fact, Jesus says this as him being Lord of over all humanity, that final judgment of every person that has ever breathed the breath on this planet, that final judgment has been committed to Him. That's pretty big. He's Lord over all humanity. And He said that one day He will divide the sheep from the goats. He's Lord over all humanity. Which brings me to Philippians 2, 8-11, where we started. Jesus being found in appearance as a man humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And God has exalted, highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Now listen to this. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord over all humanity. 
and one day all humanity will recognize it. You know, when, I, when I've looked at this passage throughout all the years of teaching and, and studying, I, I, I kind of had this idea that, you know, there's, because we know that not everybody right now believes that Jesus is Lord. And no, not everybody's bowing the knee and not everybody's confessing with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. But Paul tells us, and Jesus says the same thing, that one day everybody will make that confession that Jesus is Lord. Now, I used to think it would be like this. I've since changed my view, but I used to think like this. I used to think that, that there would be those in the crowd that don't want to bow and don't want to bend, and, and God the Father may come behind them, slap them in the back of the head, and make them bow. I've changed that over the years just through reading the Gospels. And, and let me submit this to you. I believe this is what's going to happen. On that day, when, whenever that day is, where everybody sees Jesus for who He truly is, not just the humble babe that came in a manger, not just the man who submitted himself to death on a cross. But everybody one day will see him as the glorified king of all kings. And what's going to happen on that day, everybody's going to see Jesus unlike we, any of us have ever seen him before. Everybody's going to see Jesus in such a way that everybody, I believe on their own recognition, is going to see him as truly King and Lord, and every knee is going to drop down and say, you are the King that we've always needed. You are the King that we were hoping would come. You are the only one who can straighten this mess out. I bow to you, and I confess that you are Lord. I believe that day is going to happen. The best thing that can happen in your life is that you do that today. realize that he truly is Lord and that he's not only Lord but that he's your Lord that's the most important thing you can make a decision on today Jesus is Lord he's Lord over Sabbath he's Lord over creation he's Lord over the spirit realm he's Lord over sickness and death he's Lord over sin he's Lord over all humanity You know, friend, Jesus is nobody to play around with. If He truly is Lord, we've got a response to make. Your life, my life, will rise or fall depending on how you and I relate to Him now. Jesus is nobody to be trifled with. He's somebody to be revered, to be worshipped, to be followed, to be obeyed. And to be loved with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Amen.